Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The trade deadline has come and gone. And of course, the philosophy, as with a lot of things in life, abs go with less is more. And I think, I think, I'm okay with that. We're going to talk about it here in just a little bit. We're going to read your thoughts too, because I can't be the only one having opinions around here. Yeah, I got the mic in front of me, but I want to know what you think also. Do you like that there were only three deals? Do you like the players acquired? You know Joe loves it, and he wasn't just thinking from a win-now standpoint or a win-later standpoint. It was all about a business standpoint, which of course, sports are first and foremost after all. Gotta keep an eye on that dollar. And that's exactly what he tried to do. Welcome to the Believe in Avalanche podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. My name is Eric Pesolano. You can follow along with the show on Twitter at Believe in Avs, at B-L-E-A-V in Avs. You can also follow me on social media as well, on Twitter and Instagram, at Eric underscore Pesolano. You can also find me over on TikTok, Eric Pesolano, as well. We have some clips for you from the show in case you missed anything important. I'm just here for the people, just making sure you have everything you need. How's everybody doing? Welcome back to another week. Let's take a look at what we're going to talk about today. Of course, we're going to go over all four games from the last week. We're going to look ahead to the upcoming schedule. We're getting down to the wire here. Not a whole lot of games left in the standings. So every game means that much more as we go down the line. Of course, we're going to talk about the trade deadline moves. And then we're going to end on a lighter note like we always do. But of course, the big topic of discussion is going to be the trade deadline moves. All the acquisitions that Colorado made. Only a couple of them. Or a few, I don't know, was it a couple is two, a few is three or more, or between three and five, something like that, I don't know. Look up the definition, get back to me later. Three acquisitions made by the Avalanche, one in each aspect of the game. Got your goaltender, a forward, and a defenseman. This is what I like to call foreshadowing, because we're not going to talk about this in its entirety at the start of the show, we're going to talk about it a little bit later on, but like I said in the open... We're going to read your thoughts. Got a lot of good responses. I put the question up on social media. Which of the three did you like best? Got a ton of answers. Some of them went into detail. A lot of you out there wrote a novel, and I love it. You're very passionate about the squad. I am as well. We're hoping to get cup number three. And really, it all starts right now. All of the wins over the last few weeks have been great and everything, but really, after the deadline, once you finally put those final pieces or two together, it's time to go. And yeah, I know other transactions and other deals can be made from here on out also, but really, this is where you make the big moves to put the bigger pieces of the puzzle into place. Colorado didn't blow the roof off the joint with the moves they made, but are they the right ones? And are they just good enough to get them up over the hump? And I think that's what we're all excited to find out. I don't want to waste a ton of time here at the top of the show talking about it. 
because the segment's coming up a little bit later. So let's go ahead and take a look at what happened last week. Four games on the docket, and it all started with Game 8 against the Minnesota Wild, which, of course, for all intents and purposes, was an absolutely ridiculous hockey game. I'll take you through it in case you missed it, but it was Grubauer versus Talbot in between the pipes. Parise and Zuccarello came back for Minnesota. They'd been out for a little bit, but I think Parise had missed seven games. Zuccarello was out for a couple. Avs had a 5-1-1 season series lead going into this one, but it was the Wild who came out skating a lot harder. Four on four after an Erickson X-slash and a Taves cross-check. That was the play where Brodeen got an elbow into McKinnon, but uh, apparently that went unnoticed. And then McKinnon got called for hooking and it ended up being a 4-on-3 for Minnesota. Eventually went back to the 5-on-4. And Kaprizov with a smooth finish on that backside from Spurgeon on the man advantage. And Minnesota out of the gate. I, I can't really figure this team out because we see what they do against everybody else. And they're hanging in there. And they're in the 3 spot. And if they keep this up, they could really catch Vegas. It's, it's a bit of a long shot because they still got to play them a little bit more. But it's a chance. They come out playing like this, they look like the division leaders. And then Colorado goes out there, you know, a couple weeks ago and wins 6-1 and 5-2, and it's just blowing them out. So I don't know. I can't figure this team out. And this game didn't help. So it's 1-0. Avs go on the power play. They can't score, but in that first four and a half minutes, everybody seemed to take a penalty, I guess. Greenway comes out, rings one off the crossbar, and then a minute later, probably because he was upset, takes a penalty. He gets called for roughing. But the Avs don't do much. A little bit later on, Minnesota gets goal number two as Johnson finishes that two-on-one from Rao. And that was the one where Kel McCarr got hit at the blue line. Was there an interference? Could it have been a trip? No, I say no. It was a good no-call. Then you have what was probably the dumbest thing I've seen in a hockey game in a while. Calling the Avalanche for a delay of game penalty for changing during an icing. You gotta be kidding me. You heard it on the broadcast. A lot of the times the officials will just go over to the bench and say, Hey, no, you get back out here. Instead, this time they just decided this was going to be a night that they would show off for the cameras and call a penalty. Fiala scores on the power play, their second power play goal of the first period. They lead 3-0 after 1. Avs had a shot on a power play there near the end of the period, but uh, did not do anything with it. So we go to the second period after the Avs could not kill off a power play in the opening frame. You don't see that happen very much. They go 0-2 on the kill. That Avs power play carried over, didn't last very long. Because McKinnon needed only 26 seconds into that second period to score on the power play. Flick that little wrister in traffic. Textbook goal for him. It's 3-1. to one. Minnesota comes back. Hartman gets a steal. Awful, awful exit pass by Taves. I don't even know if it was an exit pass. He was trying to find anybody who would take it from him. And he gave it right to Hartman, who made it 4-1. to one. A little bit later on, Burakovsky able to clean up a Jacob McDonald rebound. Goes back to within two. We're at 4-2. Avs get a power play. After Suter was called for roughing, that was the one where he ripped off Tyson Jost's helmet. And then Miko Rantanen, off the McKinnon rebound, brings the deficit down to one. I gotta be honest with you, at this point while I was watching the game, my first thought was, oh, they're fine. You know what's weird? Down four to one, I didn't feel like they were out of this game. And clearly they weren't, because they got it back to four to three. But then McKinnon got called for slashing in Kaprizov slams one home from in the slot. The kid lives there. And I tell you what, don't be surprised, as you shouldn't be, when Kale McCarr has to pass off the title of reigning Calder Trophy winner over to Kaprizov. Yes, I know you can't win it twice in a row. I get it. It's a rookie of the year. 
but you get what I'm saying. So it's 5-3 to three now, and that's where it ends up after the second period. Avs outscored the Wild in that period 3-2, to two, and with that, brought their goal differential in second periods this year to plus 26. Minnesota's dropped to minus 16, and yet somehow the Wild still lead this game by 2. Getting outshot by the Avalanche. It's 18-13 Colorado at this point. Power plays are absolutely wild. Avs 2 for 5, Minnesota 3 for 3. And we're going to the third period. And this is really where things just got... They got dumb. The effort really disappeared for the Avalanche here and makes you disappointed. But after such a long run, you get it. Everybody's going to have an off night every now and again, especially when you've been playing this well over that long a period of time. Fiala gets the unassisted goal off the turnover. Very lazy effort. Grubauer looked like he really didn't want to be there either. Another penalty gets called. Uh, Donskoy for hooking. That's what happens when you don't move your feet. And then Erickson Eck gets left wide open. And he's able to score to make it six, uh, excuse me, seven to three at this point in time. Another power play after Miko gets called for cross checking. Fiala scores. He gets a hat trick. Johansson was in the game at this point. He wasn't ready. And now Minnesota's 4 out of 5 on the power play for the game. Unbelievably ridiculous. Liam O'Brien gets into a scrap with Matt Dumba. They both get a 2 and a 10, which somebody who covers hockey a lot at the high school level, you don't see 2s and 10s in the NHL very much. You see them all the time in high school. That was nice to see a little bit of a parallel there. And then pretty much every other whistle from here on out, they were getting into it. It's game 8. They know they're not going to see each other anymore for the rest of the season. They're getting out all their anger right now. And that's what happened. And this would be a theme over the next couple of games. So really weak effort in that third period. Of course, the Wild and that goal from Fiala being the last. They win it 8-3 to and just blow the Avs out in that third period by scoring another three goals. Avs out shoot Minnesota 32-19 to in the game and lose by five. You've got to be kidding me. But... Final season series, 5-2-1. and one. Avs win it, going away. Probably the worst way to finish a season series. I don't know if those of you who have ever seen the Kuehl Show, hosted by a good friend of mine, Tyler Kuehl. He's up in the Michigan area. He was talking about me on his show the other day and how I am deathly afraid of the Minnesota Wild in the postseason just because of our history against them when it comes playoff time. That's not the finale you wanted against your rival. 8-3... That's the taste that gets left in your mouth. I know it's not a whole lot to really dwell on, but when you do get to the playoffs and you run into a team like this and you remember what they did to you the last time you saw them, it's a little bit concerning. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not terribly concerned maybe over the span of a seven-game series at this point in time, but a beatdown like that, even after you beat, beat them five out of eight, I don't know. That's You never want to see that. Turnovers, not great in this game as well. Avs just coughing it up at every turn. But we put it behind us, and they put it behind them real quick, because then we move on to game number 40 on the regular season. Avs back in Southern California taking on the Anaheim Ducks. Jonas Johansson gets the start against John Gibson. Got to see Keaton Middleton make his NHL debut and also become the 14th different defenseman to play for the Avalanche so far this season. Good news for Anaheim. Ricard Raquel returned after missing four games. His name had been on the block as far as trades were concerned throughout the entire week. When we get to the trades, we'll talk about what happened with him. We can talk about it now. He didn't go anywhere. He's still in Anaheim anyway. 
right out of the gate. Miko Rantanen bats one toward Gibson, and he got quite a bit on it, but John able to make the save. And this was going to be another one of those nights where Gibson was going to be Gibson. The good news was Johansson turned out to be Gibson as well in the game. About halfway through the period, each team maybe had about one chance each. Maybe. It wasn't a very exciting game. It wasn't a very crazy game. There was a whole lot of energy. Teams were ready to go. Just the defense and goaltending really stepped it up. Avs got a power play after Comtois got called for tripping Donskoy. And Gibson just turned it on. Couple great stops. Avs looked great on the power play for about a minute and a half. Their puck movement, zone control, hustle, it was all there. They just could not beat Gibson, which has you know, been a trait that they've had to deal with with this guy for how many years now? So at the end of one, no score. Avs out shooting the Ducks 9-8. They did have a power play but couldn't score. Second period, and this is where my hair got lit on fire, Danton Heinen nearly gets one to go by Johansson, but he made a great stop right on the doorstep. And my thought is still, how in the heck does this guy keep showing up against Colorado? You don't hear his name when they play any of the other six teams in the division. Only when the avalanche are around is this guy showing up. And he almost did again there. Shattenkirk had a long drive from the blue line that Johansson was able to hold on to. Ducks got a couple of more chances, but it didn't really feel like either team had the upper hand in the second period either. Ducks had a few more chances than the Avs did, but nothing really crazy. Ben Hutton got a chance from atop the faceoff circle. Nothing doing. McCarr drove back door and he fired a one-timer off a cadre pass. Nope. Middleton gets called for interference on Carrick. Ducks go on the power play. Didn't last very long because then Fowler got called for holding. We go four on four. And then Silverberg gets called for holding. Now it's four on three. Then it goes five on three. That doesn't last long. Avs get a power play. They can't do anything. This whole game was weird. Start to finish. It just really was. And then Johansson had to come up and get a huge stop off a redirection by Danton Heinen. What is happening? I, I just... This guy just keeps showing... He's going to be in my nightmares. He's just going to show up every time... Something bad happens, that big number 43 is going to be standing there. I, I just, I feel like it. I just feel like that's going to be the thing. Anyway, Gibson came up with a huge pad save in front. Then eventually, Val Nachushkin got that centering feed from Ryan Graves. Good job keeping the head up there. The man to thank for this goal too is JT Comfer as he pulled a defender up against him just next to the goal, left the middle open, and that's where Nachushkin was waiting. And it was the 28th time this season the Avalanche have scored first out of 40 games. They're pretty good. When they do that, I'll tell you that right now. Couple saves for each goaltender along the way to end the period. Avs lead 1-0 after 1. Ducks outshot the Avalanche in that second period by 1. And the shots were even at 20 by the end of the second period. Third period, again, a whole lot of nothing. It was really a game played in neutral ice. Each team had some opportunities in the offensive zone. Yeah, there was 63 combined shots taken by the time the game was over. Not a ton of them were great scoring chances. Gerard had a one-timer that Gibson was able to handle. Ducks did have a power play. Got a couple shots, but really couldn't do anything. And then, you know, with it being one nothing, with a minute left, eventually John Gibson had to vacate the net. And then the Avs get the empty netter from Rantanen, who deposited the goal to wrap it up. And funny enough, and maybe this will exercise my demons, it was a turnover at the Avalanche blue line by the Ducks that led to Rantanen's empty net goal to wrap it up. And the cross-ice pass that got away from the man at the point... Well, that man was Danton Heinen. Finally, justice is served. Avs win 2-0, outshoot the Ducks 35-28.
Neither team scored on the power play in the game. They were combined 0 for 5. Abs couldn't convert three times. Three stars in the game for this one. Number three, I gave it to everybody who played defense. All six defensemen really played well in the game. Played well in front of Johansson. Did what they needed to do. Nichushkin was number two because he had the game-winning goal. Number one, Jonas Johansson stopping all 28 shots he faced. First career shutout for him. It was just a few weeks ago when he was acquired and everybody thought, is this the guy? I think I even read a tweet out there from somebody who covered the Sabres saying, he's honestly one of the worst goaltenders I've ever seen. He doesn't stop anything in practice. He can't handle any puck that bounces anywhere near him. You guys are in for a long ride. Well, if that long ride means not losing a game in regulation to this point, get me a seat on that ride all day long. I'll take it. A good work from him. Abs then go into the final game of the regular season against the Anaheim Ducks. It takes place at Honda Center, of course. So this is game eight also, and you figure things are going to start getting real chippy in this one. And they did a little bit. Same two goaltenders in the lineup, Johansson and Gibson for this one. Nachushkin and Saad ended up flipping lines for this game, so Jared Bednar trying something just a little bit different. Abs didn't get a shot on goal until six and a half minutes into the first period, and neither team really could get anything going. Johansson had a brilliant save on Max Jones and ended up covering up the rebound that came in his direction. It wasn't a huge first shot, but the second save was the one that really was the one to look out for. And then after stick handling in a phone booth, Andre Burakovsky in front of the net is able to bury one home after a couple of Ducks defenders run into each other. And that's now five goals in the last seven games for Andre Burakovsky. He has points in 18 of his last 20 at this point. Nachushkin gets an assist, so already that lineup change for Jared Bednar paying off. O'Brien gets into another fight. Remember just a couple of nights before against Minnesota, now against Delorier here. And I got to be honest, uh, Nick took him out to the woodshed and took care of business. <laughs> he handled him. O'Brien got some nice shots in there too, don't get me wrong. But Nick Deloria really owned the show here. And right around here, this is when the Avs really start to pick things up. Gibson's making some good stops, but the Avalanche are really controlling the zone, controlling the pace of play. Rantanen had a one-on-one -on -one against the defender, could not beat Gibson. Comfer got poke-checked by Gibson too after bringing one back out front and skating by everybody wearing a black sweater. So at the end of one, after that goal, it was one nothing. Colorado outshooting the Ducks by a 2-1 margin. It was 15-7 after one. No penalties in that first frame, but early in the second, Kael McCarr gets called for interference. Johansson had a couple nice saves during that penalty kill, but ultimately killed off. And then Delorier gets called for slashing. And then Jones was called for tripping. And then the Avs got a 5-on-3 in Landeskog, redirecting a McKinnon blast right through traffic. Beat Gibson in that two-man advantage. Assist to Rantanen as well. Three-headed monster on the board. It's 2-0. Avalanche in the middle of that second period. Gibson, great save on Comfort later on. Delorier was able to save a goal while Gibson was well out of position. Something you don't see from John very often. He could not find the puck. It was behind him. Behind the net, that is. They bring it back out front, but Delorier able to get into position and knock it away. Burakovsky had a good look at a bid for his second goal. And Gibson was able to snap the glove. And keep it out. Avs get another power play. Terry gets called for tripping. Avs spend most of the time on this power play in the zone. They just they can't score. And then Troy Terry rips one off the crossbar that doesn't go. And we have a 4-on-4 four four late in the period. But not a lot happens there. So the Avalanche lead 2-0 after 2. And it really felt like they were going to be the dominant force in this game. And they really were. Especially in that third period. Ducks got a few chances early. Where they came out of the gate real well. Even got a power play. But... 
they couldn't get any good looks at all on that penalty killing unit, which is going to get a bolster here very soon. We'll talk about it in a minute. Ended up going four on four a little bit later on after Jost and Jones were both called for roughing. Anaheim did score to make it two to one after Drysdale got a double deflection off a couple defensemen. Terry and Carrick got the assist, but then after that, Graves and a scrum in front, able to get one to go off a Getzlaff skate. And then McKinnon redirects the pass from Makar right on the money. It was perfect. Assist from Landeskog. He had himself a night. We know that. Avs had a power play late in the game after Carrick was given a misconduct. And then the extra two there for Delorier after things got out of control and something that you'll see in game number eight. Like we've talked about. Avs win it 4-1. to one. And I tell you what, they looked every bit inspired after Johansson had this performance. He had the shutout a couple nights before. And then comes out and puts together another one goal allowed performance like this. Confidence is building in front of him. And unfortunately for Hunter Miska, that was something that we didn't see happen. I don't know how well the team was feeling every time he strapped on the pads, which he didn't do it very often. But with Johansson in there now, looks pretty good. And the embarrassment of riches may continue. For captain, 500 career points. He is the eighth player in Colorado Avalanche history to do so. As become the first team to reach 60 points in the NHL in the standings. They did so in the franchise's fewest amount of games. Took them only 41 to get to 60 points. As far as the team is concerned, you look at the back-to-backs they've played this year. They've done seven back-to-backs so far. And they have lost one of the 14 games that were part of a back-to-back in regulation. Every other game they either won or lost in overtime. Out of 14 you know what? You're supposed to get worse the next night after a back-to-back. You're not really supposed to pick up points. Maybe you do it 50% of the time. Three stars in this one. I got to give a notable to Johansson. After stopping 24 or 25, didn't have a ton of work to do against this Ducks team. It was good enough to win. Not quite to get a star. Burakovsky, number three with a goal. Number two, McKinnon with a goal and assist. And of course, the captain getting to 500 career points with a goal and two assists. He is the number one star of this one. So that one was Game 8 against Anaheim, and now we move on to Game 8 against Arizona. So take a look at this. This game was on Monday night, of course. Since March 1st, the NHL's top scorers are as follows. Landeskog was first with 31. Rantanen and McKinnon tied for second at 30. That's in the entire league since the start of March. What is happening, West Division? Cool moment for Arizona. Ivan Prosvatov got his first career start. It was against Philip Grubauer. Remember, he came in in that 9-3 game. He gave up a few goals late, but he looked pretty good. He looked like he has the skills to be a long-time goaltender in the National Hockey League. And he got a real big test from Miko Rantanen just 17 seconds in from long range. And he was able to make the stop. But Coyotes did a pretty decent job of keeping it in the O-zone early on in the game. And they were able to get some shots away and establish their offense a little bit. Kept peppering Grubauer, but... Philip was standing firm. He had a couple games off. He's refreshed. He's ready to go again. And then you had that weird review. I have talked about video review once before on this podcast. And it has to do with what can you challenge? How can you challenge it? Blah, 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 blah. I don't know what other camera angles the National Hockey League has in their review room. But of all the ones we saw on television, looking at both teams' feeds, how on earth anybody thought that that puck crossed that line? I'll never know. I'm not saying it didn't cross the line. I'm saying how you saw an angle that it did cross the line is nothing short of a miracle. 
There is no way anybody saw the puck cross that line. Somehow somebody did, said it was a goal, and then the Avs challenged for goaltender interference. And it was overturned. Why on earth are we not looking for everything? Why are we forcing teams to challenge things when it's not necessary? If there hadn't been goaltender interference, the Avs would have lost their timeout. Why are we not checking for this initially? It's almost like you're forcing a team to take the chance to lose their timeout. I don't know why it doesn't get looked at like that initially. Find out in that replay, did the puck go across? Was there goaltender interference? And was there anything else that could be called under the review rules? Do not force a team to challenge something just because there's a chance they might lose a timeout. A little disingenuous for me. Anyway, the challenge was upheld. They did call goaltender interference, so no goal. That whole thing was a mess. Prosvatov gets into his zone, makes a ton of stops, but eventually, Brandon Saad breaks through, gets that backhander to go top shelf after completely outworking Arizona down low. He's the one who was able to get by everybody. 13th of the year for him. Girard and Jost get helpers. Heck of a pass by Sam Girard, too, to get it to him. And the Avs lead one to nothing. Burkowski hit another post on a three-on-one. Scary moment when Jacob McDonald took a puck to the face and had to leave the game for a bit. Eventually, he would come back in. But in the moment, yeesh, did not look good. Avs got a late power play in the period. Kel McCarr ended up leaving with what looked to be equipment issues. We know later on, after the game, he talked about how he cut himself with his own skate blade and had to get stitched up a little bit. He returned to the game because you know why? Because he's a hockey player. That's why. So after 20 minutes, it's one nothing halves. Actually got outshot by Arizona 12-9 in that first period. Penalty carried over to the second. They weren't even able to get a shot on Golden Colorado. McDonald came back in. We talked about that. Ranton and blocked a shot. Snapped his stick and went all Pele on us trying to kick it out of the zone in what some people are calling the greatest zone clearance of all time in the history of the National Hockey League. It's me. I'm that person. Gerard had a pretty good stick defensively. Turned it into offense. Landeskog had to try to deflect it up and out after Jarlmerson got the stick right in the way. Perfect pass by Ranton as well. So good defense after good offense. That's what you like to see. Avs go to the power play after Labushkin gets called for slashing. They had shots all over the place. A lot of them were not on target, which of course is a minor Achilles heel for this team. And then Nathan McKinnon gets a huge blast to go from the left side. Now has a 10-game point streak. Makar and Landeskog get the assists on the play as well. More scrums in front after Grubauer was able to keep a puck out than each team exchanging power play opportunities. Nobody able to break through. And then a little bit later on, Rantanen got that bounce off Ekman Larson to go five hole on Prosvetov. It just kind of trickled in. Bit of a knuckler that bounced all over the ice. Ekman Larson looked up. You saw it on his face. He couldn't believe that somehow that went in after it hit him as hard as it did and then bounced underneath Prosvetov's five hole. Kale gets an assist on that one. And we end the second period 3-0, as in complete control of this one. We go to the third, and this is where the Coyotes do Coyote things. They get a power play, do not score. Didn't even get a shot on goal, but you can feel the tide turning a little bit. Taves get calls for tripping. Bunting gets a deflection on the Ekman-Larsen chance. Brings it to 3-1. And then a couple minutes later, Larson gets one to go also from Hunt and Goligoski, who has the funnest name to say in the NHL. I will stand by that. Grubauer had to make a tough save and hold on to a rebound. With 2.14 left, Prosvetov left the net and ran to in for the second time in three games. 
Gets a clean look from about 175 feet for an empty net goal. Second of the night for him. Prosvetov left again for an empty net opportunity. Grubauer had a huge save laying on his back. That was the one that was batted out of midair that came right back into his breadbasket. Rantanen had enough of the Coyotes, and this is where the things got chippy there in the end. Getting into a scrum, giving the Coyotes a power play, but there was only like 30 seconds left. There wasn't much going on there anyway. One more scrum before the game was over. Pleasantries being exchanged all over. They were just saying goodbye to each other and wishing the other a heck of a regular season. Good luck in the postseason. Avs win 4-2. They got outshot 37-20. to That doesn't happen often. Definitely doesn't happen often in a win. But the Avs do get it done. Third star of the game, Phil Grubauer stopping 35 out of 37. Kale McCarr, your number two star, with a goal and assist. Nate McKinnon, number one star, with a goal and assist as well. Avs end the year 6-1-1 and against the Coyotes and increase their lead in the overall NHL standings by a point. They now have what is essentially a two-point lead over the next closest team, and there could be a whole race of teams for the President's Trophy. I'd say there's about four or five with a legitimate shot with only a handful of games left. And of course, at this point, 42 in the books, that means there are only 14 to go. We're down to, I think after today, three regular season podcasts left. And then it's time to talk about the playoffs. My goodness, where has the time gone? You're listening to the Believe in Avalanche podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. My name is Eric Pesolano. Follow the show on Twitter at Believe in Avs, at B-L-E-A-V in Avs. And also follow me on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok as well, at Eric underscore Pesolano. You can follow me on all those outlets. Got a lot of cool stuff for you. A lot of poll questions. Trying to do at least once a week to get your thoughts and opinions on something. And we're going to go over those in a little bit. Quick update, looking ahead, next three games. Only three games between now and the next show. Avs at the Blues coming up on Wednesday night. Then they'll have the Kings twice over the weekend before we bring you another episode on Tuesday next week because Colorado plays Sunday. They have Monday off. So they'll play Wednesday, Friday, Sunday next week. Games five against the Blues and Kings and then six against the Kings in that last one. So we're getting close to the end. Still another four to go against the Blues this month. That won't get tiring at all. All right, let's move along now and talk about the trade deadline. First, let's look at the acquisitions. Patrick Nemeth coming home from the Red Wings for a 2022 fourth round selection. Avs go with a defenseman there, bringing Nemeth back. Good to see another face from the past. Face number two from the past, the most recent of the trades, Carl Soderberg coming home from Chicago for Josh Dickinson and Ryder Rolston. Quick note about jersey numbers here. Soda's going to get his number 34 back. Jacob McDonald's going to wear number 26, so keep an eye out for that on Wednesday night. And then finally, the goaltending help that we thought was going to come earlier came a little bit later. Devin Dubnik coming over from San Jose for Greg Patteron and a 2021 fifth rounder. Question there is, what does this mean for Jonas Johansson after putting together those wonderful performances? I'll tell you what it does. It puts one of those guys on the taxi squad for a period of time, and it ain't going to be Dubnik. And it's a shame. Johansson has been great these last few weeks. He ain't Devin Dubnik. Now, if Dubnik goes in there, has a couple bad games, maybe he's the one who ends up on the taxi squad, and Johansson comes back. The most important thing to look at here 
is finally there's somebody to back up Grubauer. Whether it's one of two guys, it doesn't matter. Give Phil a few nights off. Can either of those guys start a playoff game? Depends on where you are in the series. If you're up 3-0, do you give them a chance? Or do you go for the jugular and end it? Personally, I'd say you go for the jugular and end it. But if Phil gets worn down too much by the regular season workload, might need one of those guys to step up in a postseason game. They shuffled the goaltenders pretty well last season when Francois and Grubauer were both hurt and Hutchinson had to come in and start those games against Dallas. They used what they had, and I think they want to make sure that doesn't happen again. Johansson, to me, probably the Hutchinson of the group, and probably better than Michael Hutchinson. And no, not probably. He's better than Michael Hutchinson. At least the way he's been playing in these last few weeks, if that's what we're going to go by, because really that's all we have to go by, he has been better. So Dubnik is going to be the guy on the bench. He's going to get the every now and again start that they need whenever Grubauer needs a night off. Still got a few games left against the Kings. He got the few against the Blues. You're going to want Grubauer ready to go against Vegas. That's the most important thing because that's where you wrap up the division. You could get the President's Trophy, but get home ice advantage throughout the postseason. And you got to do it with your number one. And that's number 31. So make sure he's healthy and ready to go for when the Knights come rolling into town and vice versa. That's what I have to say about that one. Let's take a look at some of the things you had to say about it. My question on social media was, which of the three was the better of the acquisitions? So first off, I want to read some of your thoughts about what you had to say about Devin Dubnik. So Chris Johnson on Facebook says, personally, I think Dubnik is the best trade we got. We needed a solid number two between the pipes. Soderberg was a close number two, but with O'Brien and some of the other newcomers coming in and being the tough enforcers that we need, kind of puts a slight shadow on Soderberg's importance. That's a good point. Right out of the gate there, Chris. You needed that solid number two. And while the other additions are good, the Dubnik one was the more important of the one because you need to shore up on the back end. There are a couple of detractors to that statement, however, and all of you, honestly, make a pretty good argument. Jeremy Hagel said, If Dubnik ends up being the best pickup, it's only because Grubauer gets hurt. Backups don't start playoff games. And that's what I was talking about just a little bit ago. Looking at this team, you probably don't want a backup starting a playoff game. However, Dubnik does have a little bit of playoff experience. Johansson doesn't. You might be able to rely on Dubnik a little bit if you need to. If you absolutely need to. That's the only reason I would disagree with Jeremy just a little bit. But in the grand scheme of things, you are correct. Pretty good assessment there that the only reason he's going to be a major impact is if he gets hurt. He needs to be available in the regular season, in my opinion, right? Grubauer needs rest. But this team is going to go to the playoffs. That's a done deal. We know that. And that's why having a backup in the postseason really doesn't matter. And that's where I side with Jeremy a little bit. So both of you make pretty good points. I still lean toward you needed to get somebody like Dubnik. Is he the best of the three? My personal opinion? No, he is not the best of the three. All right, next comment comes from Victoria Medina, who says, Nemo eats up PK time. Strong on the back end, has good leadership skills. That was one of the things I was mentioning a few minutes ago during the game recap about penalty killing. Somebody who can go out there and get the job done on special teams defensively. This penalty killing unit is already good. When the postseason comes around, how do you make it better? And this was a small area you can go into that will have a huge impact. 
penalty killing. When you get to the postseason, you're probably going to play a bunch of teams who have done really well when they have a 5-on-4. So you need to shore that up even better than it already was in getting a guy who already knows the culture, already knows a lot of the guys on the team, knows what it's like to play in that city. To come in and mesh almost immediately without missing a beat is huge. And defensively, oh, you know the term. Defense wins championships. That's what they say, isn't it? And getting a guy like Nemeth back for virtually nothing wasn't bad at all. Kyle Quintrell actually seconded this notion, saying Nemeth and Soderberg give a veteran depth and stack the roster. But the best part is that they bring in guys they know will fit in the locker room and don't risk any disruptance. That's big. You do not want to mess with team chemistry. When you make trades at the deadline and you're going to bring in big names, which the Avalanche didn't bring in big names, but if you do to make your team better, you got to make sure that you're bringing in the right guys. We don't know what's going to happen with the Bruins yet, but bringing Taylor Hall in and some of the issues he's had off the ice, eh, is that a risk you really want to take? If you're a team like Colorado, if you're a team like Boston, you might want to because you could find yourself right on the fringe of the outside looking in to get into the postseason. You might need that extra boost. But for a team who's locked into the playoffs, do not mess with what got you there. And getting a guy like Nemeth and Soderberg in addition to that is pretty big. Listen to what Mark Gribble has to say. Soderberg is another big body that is much needed against more physical teams. If the Avs have a weakness, physicality would be that. They are so finesse, sometimes to a fault. They need to be able to grind it out in the playoffs. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for that. Because that's exactly where I'm coming from. Penalty kill is good. Starting goaltending is good. Which you need in the playoffs. You didn't make starting goaltending better, because you really can't do that. You made your penalty killing unit a little bit better. That's pretty good. But you have a major weakness. Physicality. In my opinion... This is one thing the team needed to address to get up over the hump to be very close to perfect. Nobody's perfect. Nobody will ever be perfect. This is pretty close. And the reason I say that is, this team doesn't hit anybody. It's been coming out in these game eights over the last week and a half. We'll probably see more of it going forward. But you're not seeing it during gameplay. You're seeing it after whistles. You're seeing it in forms of penalties being drawn. Who's going to step up and hit a guy during the game and push some bodies around to make things go? And that could be Soderberg. He's done it before. We've seen it. You don't need the guy to score goals. This team has scored a ton. You don't need to bring some new guy in just for flash. You've got a guy, just like Nemeth, who knows this team, knows the city, knows the system, knows the guys, and can go out there and throw the lumber around a little bit. And if they start becoming physical on top of a finesseful offense, I don't know what you do if you're the other 30 teams in this league. Or I guess more accurately, the other 15 playoff teams who may have a chance to see them down the line. Bringing in Soderberg with all that experience and all that physicality and all that familiarity is the best acquisition this team made at the deadline. Thank you all for submitting your comments. We'll have another question next week. I don't know what it is yet, but it always makes for some good discussion. I love to see your responses, and it helps drive the show a little bit. I love these talks. Gets me all fired up. Can't wait for the next game. Ah, way to go, everyone.
Moving right along, let's take a look at the injury front. Of course, got some bad news on the Pavel Francouz front. He's going to be out for the year, had hip surgery, a story we have seen with this franchise before. Eric Johnson looks like he's definitely going to be out for the remainder of the regular season. Could be back for a later playoff round. I'd imagine it's highly unlikely. There's a reason you go out and get a guy like Nemeth to get the depth up. Obviously, Nemeth's not going to be a top-line defenseman, but you're getting the other guys to kind of push up into that role. Your Makars, your Taves. So being without Johnson, yeah, it sucks. We want him there. He makes his team better. But it looks like on the injury front, not going to happen for the regular season. May not happen for the playoffs. We'll see how that goes. And of course, we always want to end the show on a lighter note. Let's switch to the college ranks, and I have to do this. I may live in Southern California, and I may root for the team that resides in Denver, Colorado, but I was born in the great state of Massachusetts, and the UMass Minutemen won their first ever Division I National Championship over St. Cloud State in the Frozen Four National Championship game. Five to nothing. The final score, congratulations to the Minutemen on getting the job done. They were the only team in the Final Four not from the state of Minnesota, and they beat two of them to get there and bring home the trophy. So congrats to the Minutemen. Thought we'd throw that in there at the end for them. That's going to do it for this edition of Believe in Avalanche. Don't forget, go on Twitter, follow Believe in Avs. That's B-L-E-A-V in Avs. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Eric underscore Pesolano. Look for me on Facebook too. That's where I post a lot of those poll questions and get your responses. So we'll have one for you again next week. Three games between now and next week. How many points do we want? What do you think? I'm going to get a little bit more bold this week. I'm not going to go for all six because we know how that works out. Let's get five out of six. I want five out of six between the game against St. Louis and the two against the LA Kings. We'll see how it goes. And we'll see if the newcomers can contribute to all that success that's about to come down the line. You've been listening to the Believe in Avalanche podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. We will talk to you next week, everybody. Go Avs, go. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.